Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today, we are discussing the Star Trek Lower Decks Season 4 episode, Parth Ferengi's Heart Place. Amazing title, so hard to say. (laughs) Yeah, not quite sure what to say about that, but it's fine. It's good. Parth Ferengi. Love it. Appreciate the reference to an iconic piece of media that I'd never seen. It's all good. I loved this episode. I watched it with my cat, which is, I guess, technically breaking the embargo. But I got a really great photo of him watching Lower Decks with me in bed. So I'll share that with listeners when this episode comes out. Delightful. Delightful kitty. So, is Beckett Mariner okay? (laughs) Clearly not. (laughs) The message that I got out of this episode Mm. was... She's not okay. She's not dealing with all of this goodness. Good things aren't good. I I think it's clear that she acts out for very good reasons, but also out of self-sabotage. And now she's in a place where she can't really pretend it's anything else, which is good. But as with all growth, it's really hard for her. That's right. It's very hard. She doesn't know who to trust, including herself. Mm. And it's also like the episode with her old friend who is now a captain, where she sort of put herself in this position of arrested development and her old friends have matured without her. And mm. this is why she's still hanging around with, you know, Tendi and Boimler, who are genuinely younger. And That's right. Yeah. Uh, I realise that Strange New Worlds implies that Boimler looks much older than he is, but I think we can safely assume that, like Jack Crusher and Paul Wesley's Kirk, he was at some stage kept in a time loop or something, which is very Boimler. It's the, we got stuck in a time loop, Mm. (laughs) boys of Trek. Yes, yes. (laughs) It's okay. We still love them. You know, the actor who plays Admiral April is much, much younger than Admiral April should be. And my headcanon there is that he was shot with a de-aging ray and, like Picard contemplated in Rascals, had to grow old the slow way. So, you know, it happens the other way around, too. Age, and I say this in the least creepiest way possible, is just a number. (laughs) You can just add this to the list of things that I don't notice or care about. (laughs) I just accept that everybody is the age they say they are, and that's just the way it is. I am very bad at telling ages of, like, teenagers and young people, but quite good at spotting everyone else, and it's a problem. It's a real problem. It's like, you know, some people notice eye colour. Couldn't tell you what anyone's eye colour is, but I notice Mm. age. But I feel sorry for you because you. Hollywood is uh, bad at that. It's so confusing. <laughs> like, my eyes and my brain tell me different things and I have to wrestle with it, just like Mariner has to wrestle with being in a position of respect. Look how I brought us back on topic. Yes. When she said, yeah, I got another pick 
again, mm. I'm a, a Lieutenant JG again. That exchange was very telling to me. That yeah. She is counting the days before she gets knocked down to Ensign. I think part of it is that she knows this cycle and she expects it. And so she doesn't want to feel comfortable in this role mm. if she's going to lose it. But that goes back to the self-sabotage that it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that if she doesn't live up to it, then she's just going <laughs> to get yeah. knocked down anyway. Yeah. And yes, Ransom is on her side, but I'm sure she's had commanding officers who said that they were on her side right up until she pushed them too far. Right. Right. Because she knows that everybody has a breaking point and mm. she's very good at finding them. Whether she wants to or not. I don't think she set out this weekend to screw up, but it's like, I don't want to frame this in terms of addiction, but it is kind of like she went into her old haunts and she saw her old friends and she fell into an old habit. And then when her friend was not going along with it, he's like, hey, I'm old now. I need an early night. <laughs> she freaked out and, and escalated. Right. And yet I feel like this was a warning sign that she's recognised. She screwed up and inconvenienced her friend on a level that for a Ferengi makes continuing to be her friend really hard. And she knows it. Right. And at the very end, when they're back on the ship and Ransom, you know, it's like, hey, how did, how did it go? And it was, it was fun, right? And it was good. And she was like, yeah, it was great. And then he turns away and her face just looks so sad and she mm. can't talk about it mm. and that happens with the Ferengi too when they're saying goodbye that's what I mean when she's like she she doesn't know how to talk about it she doesn't know who to say anything to mm. yeah she is at the point where she has to change herself and right she's aware of it and it's hard and it's awful and yet she is such a strong person that I fully believe she's going to get through this difficult stage and come out yes. a stronger person and a better friend. Right. I do think that Mariner's arc in this series, you know, we're meant to think that she's been through all of this before, that it's mm -hmm. an ongoing cycle, but this time is different. And it can say it's only different because we are watching it, but it's different for her as well. She is experiencing it differently mm. because of the group of people that are around her and her relationships with them that she can't have the same relationship that she had with the other people who left her behind mm. with these people and yeah. part of that is the difference in age and experience and part of it is just that these people are different and that everybody eventually moves on mm. and there is the fact that she is on her mother's ship i was going to say she's on her mother's ship and for the first time in her adult life, she has a good relationship with her parents. Right. She's not pushing against them in the same way. Mm. And she's not even pushing against Starfleet in the same way. No. Last season's arc was Mariner coming to the realization that she actually does like Starfleet. Mm. <laughs> she, she does want to be a part of it. It's not some sort of goof that she's playing on her parents, you know, trying to point mm. out everything that's wrong with Starfleet. She's actually realizes that she does have some power to affect change if she is in that position. Yeah. And that that is worth something. And that's why 
she seems so particularly unhappy in this episode because she's not pushing against a bigger organization. She's not standing up to authority. She is only sabotaging herself. And right, right. She's not sabotaging herself for a greater cause. Yeah, it's purely to hurt herself. And I think, I know, but I think she'll be okay. Oh, I would hug her so much. She'd be Mm. like, stop hugging me, you're not a hura. But I would (laughs) hug her. That's my problematic trait. I give non-consensual hugs to fictional characters. Meanwhile, Tendi and Rutherford get to check off fake dating on the lower decks trope bingo card. The trope bingo card. That is, like, the whole point of the series. (laughs) I love them so much, and I don't ship it at all. They're such a mess, honestly. (laughs) This is going to be so easy. It's so great. Wait a minute. This is awful. (laughs) Wait a minute. I hate this, actually. I mean, I look at two people's personalities. Mm. They are not the type, like... Mariner would be fine with it. Oh, yeah, With, like, yeah. any of the other three, she would be fine with dating them, quote-unquote. But Tendi, whose whole thing is, I don't want people to see the sexy, girly side of me. <laughs> and Rutherford, who is just a teddy bear, who, you know, puts it all out there. But Rutherford <laughs> also has this secret side that he doesn't want people to see. True, like, true. They can't do it because they're both so incredibly earnest, but at the same time they also have these secrets that they really keep even from themselves. Right. They're hiding in plain sight. Yeah. This is not a fun Mbenga and Chapel we have a secret that we're keeping together from the rest of the world situation. And your question is, do Tendi and Rutherford have real feelings for each other and are we meant to think that they do? And I think the answer to both questions is yes and also no. That's very insightful, Liz. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. This fence I'm sitting on is so comfortable. I think the answer to the second question is yes, but also no. I do agree with the in a cheeky way, like a yes in a cheeky way, but I can't tell on the first one, honestly. <laughs> I think that they have real feelings for each other and those feelings are friendship. And Mm. there is simply no sexual chemistry whatsoever. And if there was, yes, they would be an amazing couple. But they see that the other is attractive, but they're not attracted. So do you think that their blushing and their uncomfortableness is entirely due to... I mean, first of all, it's an uncomfortable situation. Oh, yeah. They can just be uncomfortable because it's uncomfortable. But in a fake dating trope in, like, fan fiction or a rom-con on Netflix, Mm -hmm. it's that they have been in love with each other for three years, and this is the moment they realize it. And there were definitely those beats Mm -hmm. within the episode. But I didn't... I, I think that they are more, like this is where I'm supposed to realize I'm in love with him and I don't, what is wrong with me? Yeah. That's the the vibe I got out of it. And that's why they were so upset. No, I definitely agree with that. I also think that 
maybe they could be attracted to each other but they have simply chosen not to be. Tendi because she's very repressed and Rutherford because he prefers to have a friend and I love that. I love that we have this incredibly intimate friendship where they choose not to pursue romance and it's not like there is no doubt going forward that they will continue to be best friends for the rest of their lives. Outside of a dating situation, you know, the joke at the end is that they're like, oh, there was just no chemistry. And then Rutherford climbs on top of Tendi to get to a Jeffrey's tube. (laughs) And it's like, yes, because there's no sexual chemistry there. So they're just comfortable in their their selves and they Mm. can do whatever they want with their bodies. Yeah, which I think for Tendi in particular, because I am riding on the Tendi's repressed train, is something she really, really needs. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that Tendi, because of her upbringing mm. and because of all the stereotypes that haunt her yeah, about her race, it is this weird. Mm. And that's why it's like, what am I feeling? I'm like, let's sure, let's call her repressed. And then she, if she has weird feelings, it's like, what are those feelings? Mm. And what am I supposed to do with them? Because I, I have been pushing all feelings aside for so long. You know, it's like a Spock situation. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like, well, I'm feeling too much and I don't have the words for it. Also, I think it's arguable that the norms which are appropriate in Orion society would not fly in a relationship with someone from the Federation. There mm-hmm. are so many reasons for Tendi to keep this side of herself private. And Rutherford, it's harder for me to get a read on because he's just less developed, but he has this secret Section 31 past and he has really compartmentalised pieces of himself. And I think he's basically a good guy who would really thrive with an uncomplicated, simple relationship. And that's his friendship with Tendi. And I think introducing mm-hmm. sex to that is going to be complicated in a way right. that, that he would not enjoy. That he wouldn't want. Mm. But the whole Miglimo broke them up because they both love him. That like they were this close to accidentally inviting Miglimo to be their third, and I'm so into it. I don't ship them, but I ship them with Miglimo. I mean, we have discussed that Miglimo is the worst. Oh yeah. So the very idea is like, ew. No, no. Also, this is the worst OT three ever. Also, he's a bird, which is somehow much more disgusting to me than Dr. Ta'ana being a Cation who is sleeping with shacks. But birds. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, in Mariner's na- Naked Time scenario in your favourite episode, she sees her mother with Miglimo. I, I like this idea that Miglimo, despite being a bird, is like the secret sex god of the ship. <laughs> You know how Tom Paris has actually had kids with three quarters of the women on Voyager? Yes. That, that's Miglimo. I see. Yeah. I'm sorry, but I have to put it out there. I, I'm disturbed on so many levels mm. right now. Mm. Okay. Before we move off of Tendi and Rutherford, mm-hmm. I just want to bring it up with, uh, you know, and as, as a good segue into Ferengi television. Yes. Will they, won't they? Oh. The workplace comedy about how everyone's in love with everyone else. So if Tandy and Rutherford 
don't get to get together and mm. Boimler and Mariner don't get to get together. <laughs> Is this a will they, won't they, won't they scenario <laughs> of, of the series? Is that what we're saying? That there's not going to be a seventh season weirdo <laughs> union? <laughs> oh, there or, is. Or, or it is in its meekly mode. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was about to say. Season seven, Mariner and Meekly Mo get married on shore leave and then have to find someone to give them a divorce. And they can't, so they just have to stay reluctantly married for the rest of the series. So. Once again, call me Mike McMahon. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I'm just. Okay, let's move on to Frankie Television with that in our minds. Well, uh, will they, won't they? My thought on that was that it's very funny that this is the genre that they're parodying when Star Trek has no will they, won't they long-term slow burn romances these days. So please bring that back, Star Trek. I miss it. But also cop landlords is my new favourite thing. I don't know why I found this so funny, but if I had had the intro... It would have been Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a cop landlord's podcast where we talk about commerce and capitalism. With the very short trek yesterday, it felt like a joke at the expense of progressivism. This felt like a joke from progressive people. Right. I mean, the entire Ferengi television subplot felt like a joke at the expense of people who watch television. Yes, which does include us. (laughs) <laughs> Particularly people who watch television in America, mm. or who watch American television, I suppose, mm. from Australia. Because we talk about it all the time, that that propaganda has taken over. Mm. And yet, I can't stop watching. <laughs> I, I tweeted this, or whatever, tweeted, I don't even know. I, I put out on social media this week that I have paused my CSI rewatch to <laughs> go back into my SVU rewatch. The only time I have ever stopped watching a show because it felt like propaganda was Deadlock, the Australian comedy parodying like Broadchurch and that sort of thing. And that's purely because it was like too close to home, man. This is too real. Whereas American propaganda, I'm like, you guys are basically aliens. You know, I'll watch CSI. I'll watch Cop Landlords. Yeah, it is a problem. It's a problem that our longest running series are propaganda. Mm. It's a problem that they have literally affected the criminal justice mm. system as we know it. Papers have been written about this. Studies have been published. Uh, it's a problem that true crime podcasts are the most popular podcast genre yes. uh, uh, across most podcatchers. That's not good. It's creating a false sense of security and a false sense of danger. Danger. Thank yeah. you. Like, okay. I love true crime podcasts the way you love propaganda. And I am quite critical of the genre. And I honestly find that most of what I consume is also quite critical of cops and the criminal justice system. I I see people going, oh, true crime girlies that just love cops and serial killers. And I'm like, I think it's a lot more nuanced than that. But I'm also not (laughs) going to be the person well actually Suffice to say, I think there's an element of moral panic here. I do think that there is more nuance to it. Mm -hmm. I will say that one of the main reasons that I love medical dramas so much Mm -hmm. is that they are 
full-on indictment <laughs> of the U.S. healthcare system. Every single one. Yeah. So that is great. And there certainly is some pushback in even a law and order, which is the most propaganda of propaganda, mm. much more so than CSI. You know, Olivia Benson always wins. Right. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're never going to take her down. So cop landlords, <laughs> I would fully be stuck binge watching cop landlords. Yeah. I can't get over it. It was amazing. Mm. Everything about Poimler's subplot was made from just me. Yeah. Because I expected that he would be incredibly susceptible to advertising and he would drink sluggo cola. And no, he's incredibly susceptible to narrative. And as people with a Star Trek podcast, we totally get that. Exactly. And I think anyone who's travelled or, you know, we can watch TV feeds from other countries. Watching foreign TV and the ads and the way it's presented is amazing. My brother lived in Japan for two years. Oh. And he literally sent us a DVD that was just commercials <laughs> that he recorded from the television. <laughs> It was amazing. It was like three hours of Japanese commercials. It was incredible. So yes, and and I don't watch. I don't. I do whatever I can to not watch. Ads right. Same. Ever. But then he even noticed when the commercial was in the ad and pointed it out, and it was mm. like, yeah, that's what I do too. I'm sitting here watching whatever Mission Impossible, and I was like, look at this. <laughs> like presented by Pepsi Cola. Like, yeah. yeah. And I get all up in arms about it and yet i'm still watching i'm still fully into the narrative mm. and it's still working on me on some level and boimler going this is insidious as the camera closes in on the paramount logo behind him that's funny because paramount is terrible but it feels like you know in the golden age of the simpsons when they would make fun of fox and it felt very subversive because they were on fox i like that we're leading into that more I enjoy a bit yeah. of meta-comedy, especially at Paramount's expense. More of that, please. What I expect... Like, okay, our episode will come out nearly a week after the episode drops, so by the time this episode is out, I want there to be a thriving cop landlord slash fandom. It has to be a slash fandom, obviously, because there aren't enough female there are... characters. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a Ferengi yeah. production, after all. Women can wear clothes and have jobs, but there's only going to be one woman per ensemble. And also in Will They, Won't They, mm. that was definitely at least two male presenting Ferengi who were having that conversation at the end. Right. The one was like, and I'm in love with you. I want that show to be real too. Yeah. Everything about this was amazing to me. So great. So that's what I want from fandom. What I think we're actually going to get is lots of bad rom takes. Yes. Before we get to Rom and get mm. off of the ads, though, uh, I really did love the visual gag of Ransom <laughs> drinking the slango <laughs> at the end. Yes. <laughs> the, the, the commercials worked on him. Oh, yeah. But also, Ransom has definitely beaded Boimler's shoes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, I almost forgot. There's a very silly, like, throwaway subplot in the Voyager 2 part of Future's End, where Kess mm. and Neelix are watching TV feeds for 
in yes. Fall About Voyager and they end up getting hooked on daytime soaps. This felt like a much better executed version of that. Yes, absolutely. Mm. When I watch Future Sun, I just want more of that. I'm like, mm. I don't, this mm. is all boring. Can we just go watch Neelix and, and Kess some more? Television without pity with Kess and Neelix. That's what a briefing with Neelix mm. should have become. Anyway, Rom and Lita. I predict fans are going to be very angry that Rom has not converted the Ferengi alliance to full-on communism. It's not a socialist utopia. It's just slightly less capitalist. Do those people understand progress? No. No. It's all or nothing. And that makes me crazy. That is everything that is wrong with the American left. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm basically strawmanning here. It might be that all of fandom gets it and we're not the only ones who are correct. But... I think that most of our feed mm. is going to agree with us. It's going to have the, like the same people who are upset by that very short track, mm-hmm. which is all of my friends. Yep. <laughs> but the wider fandom the people who think that the west wing is perfect mm. are going to be upset by rom's quote-unquote failures mm-hmm. by lita still caring about anything probably but in particular business <laughs> they want lita to be a girl boss but in a socialist way exactly and it's like First of all, that would be completely unrealistic. And mm-hmm. I love realism in my Star Trek. I think it's crazy pants that Lower Decks is somehow the most realistic. Yep. But that's where we are. Progress takes so long that you don't notice it is happening until it, it's passed and, you, and you've mm-hmm. moved the goalposts to something better. Right. That is how it actually works. And that is... Compromise. Yeah, which is the awful, horrible, Mm. heartbreaking thing, is compromise in order to move forward. Right. And frankly, that they have had any impact Mm. on Ferengar is incredible, Yes, actually. The fact that it's been this long and Rom hasn't been assassinated, amazing. And I mean, the Ferengi at the beginning Mm. were saying that Rom has it, like, (laughs) okay, Joe Biden is not Rom, but <laughs> the Ferengi at the beginning, uh, before they were collected by not Boba Fett, hmm. really, really, really reminded me of people arguing about whether or not Joe Biden has done good or bad things for mm, the country. Mm. Because apparently Rom has put some, he's put in some regulations about what you can and can't do in terms of trade uh and taxation and profit and people are arguing about it and Mm. so it's like that's actually a lot of progress right right and and it also shows that rom is taking the long view just like i was just saying like rom is great (laughs) so (laughs) so everybody is wrong (laughs) anyone who thinks rom isn't great is wrong and the fact that rom is interested in joining the Federation, but also on his own terms and demanding that the Federation respect Ferengi culture, I think really speaks well of him because you say the words the Ferengi are joining the Federation and you're like, stop taking over everyone for the Federation. Stop conquering. 
Whereas I think this is a more reasonable take than my less nuanced reaction. It's also just such a, uh, like, look at how far Rom has come. Because mm. Rom was introduced as someone who didn't even have self-esteem for himself. Yes, yes. That was his whole arc, mm. was realizing that he personally had self-worth <laughs> and deserved respect. And the fact that he has come to the point where he's saying, my planet is imperfect, but guess what? So is yours. Yeah. And you have to show respect for my values in mm. order for me to show respect for yours. And honestly, I think the Federation could do worse than a little heavily regulated capitalism. I mean, the fact is, so this is like my whole Star Wars thing, mm -hmm. is that the, the people who live on Tatooine do not care who is in charge, if it is the Republic or the Empire. Mm. They're living under the same terrible conditions. You know, there's places outside of Federation space that still have slavery, that mm. still have gambling, that still have poverty, that are awful and horrible. And there are places within the Federation that are using those places for their own gains. Yes. And, and so therefore... Like, you don't get to sit on your high horse and say that you're just clearly better. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. I, I don't necessarily think that the uh, Federation could use some good capitalism because I don't think there is good capitalism. <laughs> but I can say that uh, system of values, you know, again, mm -hmm. Picard has a whole vineyard to himself. Yeah. That is his, that has been in his family for like 600 years. And if that's not landed gentry, I don't know what it is. He is clearly better off than every other person we've ever met in Starfleet. Except maybe Boimler, who has a raisin vineyard. <laughs> I'm sorry. Mm. It's just the way it is. So you can't say we are living in this, you know, post-capitalist, post-classist reality because it is classist oh yeah so it's post-scarcity great good i want everywhere to be post-scarcity so you know yes you should celebrate that star trek and star trek fans but it is not post classed yeah <laughs> and as we discussed last week the california ships are not the highest class ships in starfleet which makes it interesting that the Cerritos is the one sent to do this job, but thank goodness because Captain Freeman is really, really good at this. Captain Freeman! I can't get over how last week we were saying that she's good at her job, and then mm. this week she was like, level up! Yeah. And also the Admiral was fully incompetent. Oh god. Probably one of the worst. The worst. He was those, you know, blasé mm. people. And interestingly, because Rom and Lita are from Deep Space Nine, this episode also kind of a little bit reminded me of when Bajor was trying to join the Federation. Yeah. And the admirals were fully bad at that too. Mm. Yeah. And just completely misunderstanding mm. what they're doing. Like you were saying, they're more like collecting pieces yeah, yeah. of the galaxy like not Boba in, Fett. You know, we're just better mm. come be with us in both cases neither admiral understands that the joining planet might have reservations and very right. sincere reservations right because from their perspective 
why wouldn't everyone want to be a part of the Federation? Mm. I'm glad that we get to see that Freeman is great at her job. And honestly, she might not be the kind of captain who specializes in first contact, but coming into diplomatic disputes and situations where all parties are already quite well known, she seems to be exceptionally good at that. It's what I'm saying. I'm almost to the point where I'm going to say that second contact is more important. <laughs> and frankly, I am just like, Freeman is the best, everybody. She's clearly, what she does is, you know how we said that the reason that Captain Kirk is a better captain than Pike is that he takes the person's personality and needs into consideration mm. and then gives them orders in a way that they can understand them. Yes. That's what Freeman is doing with all of these different civilizations that she goes to visit, mm. that she's not seeking out new civilizations. She's going to the newly acquired civilizations and she's telling them we respect you yes and this is why i learned up about you know i i memorized the rules of acquisition <laughs> for you and this is also something she's gotten better at over the course of the show i think because she does really well when she's working with mariner but also if you're just making first contact with people and they're not doing any follow-up not maintaining contacts you're basically just adding them to your collection much like we theorize that not boba fett is exactly it's a it's, menage it's, it's a menage it all comes back to the menage <laughs> And then the final note here is Ransom as mentor, and he's just so good. He's good at his job. So precious. I love that this series started out as, look at all these goofballs mm. doing their jobs and making mistakes and having to fix it. And we've gotten to, look at all these goofballs being exceptional mm. at their particular position yeah everybody has leveled up to you know have more confidence that we are following not just the lower deckers but we're also following the bridge crew in mm. this parallel situation of and again like you were saying it's because mariner is on the ship with freeman and freeman's on the ship with mariner and that's like a symbol for all of it mm, that yep. it's the bet, so, you know, why is the, the crew of the Enterprise-D able to save the universe, just the seven of them in their ship? Because they are an ensemble. Yes. Because each of them uses their strengths to the best of their ability, and everyone else in the ensemble knows to go to that person yes. for that thing. And trusts that when they say, I can do this, when Data says, no, I can do this, when... Troy says, I know where they are. When Beverly says, don't worry, I can definitely destroy all of the Borg by myself. <laughs> they trust that it's true. Mm. Even when they're surprised, they're surprised after the fact. Yes. That's what makes a good bridge crew. And so these people have finally gotten to that point where they can trust each other. You know, Freeman can say, I don't have to worry about whether... Mariner in particular, and all of the underlings are okay because I put Ransom in charge of that and Ransom's good at his job mm. and I trust him. Mm. And so she can focus on learning all yeah. of the rules of acquisition and doing her job well. They've basically hit 
season four TNG equilibrium where everyone is in their place and knows what their role is and now they can start having fun with that and start promoting people and so forth it's really is a great speed run of Star Trek because yes they're in their fourth season but they only have like half to a third as many episodes so well done lower decks (laughs) also I just realized I think we're almost halfway through the season and that's very sad I know and then we'll have nothing for ever. <laughs> it's going to be so peaceful. We can finally watch Space Seed. <laughs> we, can, we can have our own bad context. <laughs> be prepared, everyone. We can talk about that magazine we both bought months ago. I know, like in April. Yes. <laughs> anyway. Thank you for listening to AntimatterPod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.com, including links to our social media, credits for our theme music, and transcripts of our episodes. You can follow us on Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram, and Blue Sky, all at AntimatterPod, and on Mastodon at antimatterpod at tenforward.social. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us next week for the next episode of Lower Decks, A Few Badgies More. That reminds me I need to get the badgie Christmas ornament. I don't. Badgie is better than peanut hamper, but only barely.